Welcome to a new year. Well, it's great to have all of you with us. You know, it's been a really busy off season. Uh, there was a, a day during the off season that my wife didn't order anything off of Amazon. <laughs> the UPS driver came and knocked on her door to see if we were okay. <laughs> so, but we got through, and it's it's getting there. So. Well, it's time to turn it over to someone who's always here for science. It's Dr. John with the Technology Spotlight. We have a lot of smart gadgets these days, don't we? You know, we have our smartphones and our smart watches and all kinds of things. Don't you think it's time for smart jewelry? It'd be pretty handy dandy, wouldn't it? Maybe this is the year, maybe. Well. Uh, you know, a while back, some iPhones got stolen from the Apple store, and uh, they found out, whoever did that, when they turned on those phones, it said, this iPhone has been stolen. We are sending your location to the police. You know, that would be pretty handy on, say, a diamond ring, wouldn't it? So maybe what we need is smart diamonds. Well, I want to talk about some new efforts to use diamonds to make computer chips pretty amazing. Remember, diamonds are made out of carbon. That's the same thing that graphite is made out of. You See that lump of graphite over there? And then the pretty diamond? How could those be made out of the same thing? They're both made out of carbon. Let's take a closer look. If you look at the diamond structure, it's more of a 3D crystal structure, while the graphite is actually in layers. And the really neat thing here is that all of those bonds in the diamond are strong covalent bonds. It makes the diamond material very, very strong. And it has a lot of really amazing properties. So they found out that you could use diamond to make semiconductors. Remember, most all of our semiconductors today are made from silicon. What's silicon? Well, silicon is basically really, really clean sand. That's what they use. And when I say clean, I mean there's only a few places in the world where you can get sand clean enough. And they make the silicon wafers that they use to make the computer chips. And they actually have some really advanced processes where they do the layers. If you look at this disk, this is actually a silicon wafer. Each one of those little teeny rectangles is going to be a computer chip. They're going to cut off those little teeny rectangles and put them in chips and then, then they'll go end up in your phones or computers or all kinds of gadgets. So right now we do all of this with silicon. But in order for silicon to become a semiconductor, we have to put in impurities. They call it doping. And they put in something like phosphorus or boron to give it these semiconductor properties. Now let's zoom in even closer on a silicon wafer you can see each one of those squares is going to be a chip, but you can also see that there's a lot going on. Each one of these little chips is like a little city. If you zoom in close enough, you can see an area that looks like a bunch of warehouses, and that's where they store the memory. And, you know, the ones and zeros. It's like a data storage warehouse. And then another area over there is where the processors are, you know. We could have uh, DSPs or all kinds of... Uh, different types of processors. And then around the edge, if you look one more time, you can see that's where the I.O. is. That's the interface to the real world where they have, they you know, send it over a serial interface or something like that. That's kind of like the railroads and the boat docks, right? And uh, so these chips are like a little tinny city. There's a lot going on in there. Well, if you're going to switch from using silicon to diamond, there are a lot of amazing things that would have to happen. One of the big problems is how do you make diamonds semiconduct like silicon? You can't dope it quite the same way. Well, some researchers have been studying this, and they have some interesting techniques. One technique is to take these really, really clean diamonds and stretch them. Check this out. They actually have a mechanical system where they strain the diamonds just the right amount. And what this does is causes breaks or imperfections just the right way in the diamonds that give them the semiconductor property. Pretty amazing stuff. And in fact, they've also found that they can uh, shoot electrons at the diamond and really high speed and actually cause these imperfections too. 
So they're starting to see how they could make the diamonds do what they want. And now that they can do this, there are some possibilities to have even smaller computers. Or another really exciting um, technology would be to be able to have really high power transistors for, say, controlling power for a city, which we can do with silicon, but it takes really big stuff. But this would allow us to shrink it way down with diamonds. Or maybe even really high current wireless systems where you're sending that power not just to your phone, but to other devices. For example, a microwave. That would be a lot of power for today's silicon. But that's the kind of thing they're talking about maybe doing with diamonds. Of course, I still like the idea of smart jewelry, right? <laughs> I can imagine having all these smart computers, but I think when they're done, they're going to look a lot more like those rainbow-colored uh, wafers, aren't they? Exciting stuff. And uh, diamonds can do even more than you thought. And that's all the tech we have the time for. All right. Now it's time for Breakthrough Moments in Science with Tobias. For the breakthrough, we're going to talk about the man who was followed by Sticky. Are we talking about Willy Wonka? <laughs> no, no. We're talking about a guy named Harry Cooper. And he is a gentleman who was born in the early 1900s, and he was a chemist. And he found himself working for a company called Eastman Kodak. And in the 1940s, he had his first project at the company. And it was to create a plastic scope for a, a weapon on a gun because as we were entering World War II, we needed some new technology. So his project is a plastic scope, and it needs to be very durable. Well, his team starts looking at different substances. What can we use to create this plastic? And they come across a very interesting substance called cyano cyanoacrylate. 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 So it's a substance, okay? <laughs> and this substance is very interesting. It has some interesting properties, and they, they think, you know what, let's try doing some experiments. So they start analyzing it. They start looking at it in their equipment, and unfortunately, it was sticky. Now, a lot of things are sticky, but this wasn't just sticky. Once it got sticky, it would freeze. And what I mean by that is if you put it in the microscope, the microscope was ruined because now you couldn't pull it out. You couldn't take it off. If you had it in this equipment over here and it sandwiched it together and analyzed it, you couldn't open it back up. Because once you touched it to any objects or an object, it hardened and it stuck. And it stuck really well. Well, they ended up ruining um, some equipment, actually. And eventually, the government would shut down this project. Um, it was not incredibly successful. So fast forward a couple years. And Mr. Coover is working on a second project at Eastman Kodak. And this time they're working on a polymer that's going to be used on the top of a cockpit or canopy of a jet. And it needs to be able to withstand really intense heat. And as they're working, they create this same big word, cyanoacrylate, of stuff. The same substance. And it's sticky just like before. And they even have some machines get ruined by it. And so... It must be a little bit frustrating because they keep getting close to something and then it just turns into a sticky mess. Well, at this point is when Harry stops and realizes, wait a minute, what if this terrible characteristic could be looked at as a feature instead? So he stops working on his other projects and he looks at this of, what if we use this as a glue? Because it sure works um, for an adhesive. So he starts analyzing the characteristics of this substance and how could we make it into a product? Could we use this as a glue? And one of the first things, of course, is how do you control it changing from liquid to getting hard, curing? And as they start to research it, they notice that when it's exposed to air, it cures. And as he looks into it more, it turns out it's actually not the air, it's the water molecules in the air. And when the water molecules are exposed to this substance, it bonds with the substance, and that's when it cures. So as he researches it more, they end up creating a new product, and they name it Eastman 910. And the reason they name it that is because it cures in 9 to 10 seconds. So Eastman 910. 
and it's it starts becoming a product and they're uh, putting it out there trying to get some momentum eventually they would name change it apparently eastman 910 wasn't catching on too much so they had to come up with a new name for the see it's super it's sticky it's super glue that's what they named it and he went on a talk show where the tv host and him took some here's a little video of it they put one drop of super glue on this metal and attached it to a rope and it held both of them super glue and eventually they would also use it uh, do it with a pickup truck and it would lift the entire pickup truck pretty incredible strength and just nine to ten seconds that's pretty super isn't it um and it turns out it you can pull if you pull flat so if you put two pieces together and you pull it's extremely strong but if you peel it you can get it off this would introduce a whole nother use of this and that is in war in first aid because during this time there was a war that broke out and Harry Coover was approached by a general because they had a big problem. That was that the soldiers were dying on the battlefield, not from anything more than loss of blood. They couldn't get the soldiers fast enough from the battleground to the medical places and get them healed. And between then and then, they would lose too much blood. Well, they actually put super glue in spray bottles. And they, they didn't get this approved by the government. They just did it. And they would spray super glue onto the wound. Remember, super glue needs water, and it cures. It turns into that hardness in 9 to 10 seconds. And they literally saved hundreds of lives using super glue. I'm not saying put super glue on wounds, but they do now have a version of super glue that is medically approved for use as a bandage. But this incredible substance. And Harry Coover ended up pretty happy. Um, over 400 patents. Um, but of course, his most famous is the super glue patent. So in closing, the moral to the story, if you stumble on a discovery, stick with it. Thank you. <laughs> All right. And now introducing Roger Billings. to welcome everybody to this discussion today. It's an exciting time to be involved in technology, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And what an entrance you made. It's a new year, yeah. Yeah, I can I tell. I like that one. She's got something going on, got doesn't she? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we'll get into that in a few minutes, but first I'd like to, uh, I'd like to say something about technology. Okay. Okay. What should I say? <laughs> I know, but we're all waiting to hear, aren't we? What should I say? About technology. Tell them all about it. About technology. <laughs> you can tell them that you're a technology polymath, which he is. <laughs> okay, well, moving on. <laughs> Actually, uh, there's some very exciting things that we want to talk about. You know, the science fair is coming up. Mm -hmm. And everybody needs to get involved in the science fair. And some people are wondering what they should do for their project. Now, there are a lot of wonderful projects that involve test tubes, flask beakers, microscopes, mm -hmm. gadgets, yep. right? Tests, measurements, mm -hmm. calculations. But today we're going to open the science fair wider than we ever have before. In fact, we're even going to rename it. We're going to call it the Science Fair and Robotics Fair. Neat. Robots are becoming an extremely important part of our lives. And they're going to be more and more important as we go forward. I want to kick things off today by sharing a video of some amazing robots. Some robots that do an amazing feat. They dance. And you know, for robots to be able to dance takes a lot of technology. This particular clip 
comes from uh, an organization called Boston Dynamics. And their robots are so good that when they posted this video on the Internet, people said, hey, foul, that's just an animation. These can't be real. Guess what? They are real. In fact, uh, I'm even working to acquire the little dog robot you'll see. Let's see it. Here it is. think about it, some very good engineers have put a lot of effort into putting those bolts mm -hmm. and screws and bearings and everything together to be able to make them have those wonderful functionalities. And they are coming to, to many, many, many places. Some of you may have noticed that on the, the guy or, or the lady, I couldn't tell for sure, but on the, the humanoid a robot, they had a big pack on his back. Did you know that that pack is heavy and it's full of batteries? There was the, the other robot, the kind of one that went up and down, mm -hmm. like maybe a, a duck or something, but he had a great big pack on his back too, batteries. Mm. The limiting technology for robots right now is storing the power. We could make robots that could do amazing things and they could, they could operate for a long time without a recharge if we had better batteries. And I think that making better batteries is something that can be accomplished by using hydrogen. Wow. Hydrogen can run through a fuel cell and it can make electricity. And the interesting thing is, hydrogen is the lightest element in the universe. And it turns out to also be the lightest way to store fuel in a robot, in a car, in whatever you, you want mm -hmm. to do. So we need to develop robot power systems. And I, I think that's a technology that is going to be very important going forward, and we'll be talking a little bit more about that. So hydrogen can be stored as a compressed gas. If you store it as a gas, the hydrogen is still very light, but the tank has to withstand pressure, and so the tank becomes heavy. Mm 
So you solve the problem of it being too heavy by putting it in a tank that brings the problem right back. The way that you really make hydrogen light is you store it as hydrogen liquid or liquid hydrogen. The challenge is, how do you turn hydrogen gas into a liquid? Do you know how you do that? Tell me. You know. <laughs> you tell me. You get it very cold. In fact, it's, it's not cold like a very, very winter day anywhere on Earth. It's colder than anywhere on Earth. It's so cold that scientists have a special name for this cold. It's called cryogenic. And you have to cool hydrogen down to this amazing low temperature. But when you do, the gas turns into a liquid. And then you can get a lot of gas in a container because it's a liquid, and you can use that container to operate things. Now, uh, I've had the privilege of running a few of my vehicles on liquid hydrogen. Uh, liquid hydrogen is what I believe will someday soon be running our, our aviation aircraft, or when you go on an airline flight, the power for the engines will come from liquid hydrogen. We've already used liquid hydrogen to power the space shuttle. And why do we choose hydrogen? Because it's so very, very, very light. And there's a lot of wonderful technologies that can be done to produce hydrogen and to liquefy it. One of the problems with liquid hydrogen is that when you put it in cold, like let's say you put a very, very cold drink in a, in a cup, Pretty soon, if you don't drink it fast, it'll get warm, mm -hmm. and you won't have a cold drink anymore. That's why they made a special cup called a thermos. If you put your cold, icy drink into a thermos bottle and close the lid, it'll stay cold for a long time, but eventually it still gets warm. If you put liquid hydrogen into a thermos, it's just all nice and happy except some heat is leaking in through the thermos. Do you know how they make a thermos bottle? They put, there's a vacuum in there, isn't there? In a factory. In a factory. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They have an insulator around the, the liquid or the drink, the soup or the, or the warm or cold drink, and that, that chamber has a vacuum in it. And heat doesn't go through a vacuum very good, so that makes it very cold. When they're trying to keep liquid hydrogen cold, they do the same thing. They have a vacuum jacket around the outside of the tank, but they even do something else. They call it super insulation. Mm. And super insulation is a vacuum that has layers of reflective mylar because the mylar reflects the heat back out. And it keeps it very, very cold for a very, very long time. But even then, some heat eventually gets in. And if you have liquid hydrogen and some heat gets in, some of that hydrogen starts getting warmer. And once it gets to the boiling point of hydrogen, which is hundreds, hundreds of degrees below zero, mm -hmm. it turns back into gas and it starts building up pressure. Now that's not really a big problem if you use the hydrogen. Mm. If you fill an airplane and then take off, You'll never build pressure because you're using it faster than it gets warm. In fact, the cryogenic tanks I used in my cars would vaporize one half of 1% of the hydrogen per day. Per so day. you didn't have to use very much. I would just, for my regular driving, I didn't have to lose hydrogen. But if I left my car sitting for multiple days, the pressure would gradually build up, and I had to have a little pressure relief valve to release and waste the hydrogen if I went too long without driving. Well, it turns out for a robot, for an airplane, it's not a problem because you fill it up before you use it. A robot, you could go fill the liquid hydrogen tank and use it, and it would be an amazing thing. And one of the nice things about it, if you use hydrogen to propel the robot inside a building, the only byproduct is pure water vapor so it does not stink up inside a building, inside a hospital, inside a factory, wherever we would use it.
So is it safe, liquid hydrogen? Some people say. Hmm. 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 <laughs> Cold will burn. Some people have touched an ice cube. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, I have one good friend that when she was a young scientist, pre-scientist, and she was living up in a very cold north city, mm -hmm. one day she went out when it was freezing and she did an experiment. She touched her tongue. I bet she'll never do that To again. a pole. <laughs> and it stuck. And she tells a great story about how her dad rescued her. I don't recommend that. It's awful. It really stinks. But don't do that. cold can burn. And if, if ice can, can kind of numb and burn, dry ice can actually uh, make a welt and a burn on your skin because it's much colder than ice. And cryogenic liquids are much colder. There is a, a demonstration that scientists do with liquid air. Okay. If you cool air down, the air turns into liquid. And the, the famous liquid we do the experiment with is liquid nitrogen. Remember, nitrogen is 80% of air. 20% is oxygen, but 80%. Most of air is nitrogen. And if you get it cold enough, it turns into a liquid. And if you take a flower and put it into liquid nitrogen, bubble, 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 it makes the flower super cold. And you pull it out and tap it on a table, and it'll just shatter like glass. Mm. Because it's so frozen. And, and that's not something you'd want to get on your hand because it would super freeze your hand. And that could be not a good thing. So, bottom line, uh, liquid hydrogen is colder than liquid air. Uh -huh. It's quite a bit colder. So it's something that you really need to protect. When I would fuel my hydrogen cars, I had a, a fueling line that I'd hook up to the car to transfer the liquid hydrogen into my tank. And the refueling line had super insulation around it so that it would insulate the liquid hydrogen from the air. But right on the end of the line, there was just a little section that wasn't insulated. And when I would start filling my tank, liquid nitrogen would form around that and just drip off yeah. like a liquid onto the <laughs> ground because the hydrogen was colder than liquid nitrogen. So it just, it made liquid nitrogen right there. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we have to learn how to use it carefully because like dry ice and even more so, it could burn. But it has so many wonderful properties. And mm -hmm. I drove cars all over on liquid hydrogen. I converted a Winnebago motorhome to use liquid hydrogen stored in a tank to run the stove, the furnace, the, you know, all of the different appliances, mm -hmm. and, and it works really well. So it can be done, but we will have to learn how to do it. There are issues, there are technology challenges that need to be solved. And there are people now talking about solid hydrogen. Solid. Solid hydrogen, or hydrogen slush, or even solid hydrogen that could be even more compact and dense. Isn't it wonderful? that the very best technologies are still to be invented. Mm -hmm. How would you use solid hydrogen? I would uh, use it to store the hydrogen. Okay. And then it, it would have to be very cold. Uh -huh. Then I'd let it warm up and it would turn back into liquid, then back into gas, and then I'd run it into my fuel cell to make electricity so my robot could dance. Neat. Wouldn't that be neat? Yeah, that'd be neat. Okay, so... If you want to be ready for the new world that, that is coming, in fact, that we're already in, then you need to get ready for robots. And if you're gonna be able to talk to robots, I mean, robots are learning to speak English and they can have natural voices, but that's fake. That's because there's a computer translating from robot talk to people talk. Inside robots speak binary. They speak computer language. Mm -hmm. So if you really want to get ahead in this new world of technology and robots, then you need to learn to code. Mm -hmm. And that's why in Acellus we have our, our STEM courses. 
And if you haven't taken a coding course, you really should. Now, some of you say, well, I don't know, that STEM coding seems a little bit advanced for me, a little challenging, and I know what you mean. And a lot of students and schools have been asking for this, so we are happy to announce that we're creating a new course that has the purpose of helping people that just want to get right into the practical coding without getting into as much of the background and the theory, a great place to start, that will allow you to program our little robot R2-D2 to dance. And some of you are saying, well, I could never program a robot. And um, a lot of guys say that, a lot of ladies say that. And so I decided to conduct an experiment and see if it is possible for you to code. And so what I needed is I needed someone to experiment on. Are there any volunteers? <laughs> <laughs> I always volunteer, don't I? <laughs> yeah, so anyway, we, we've had a little break here, and I said to Dr. Peje, hey, uh, do you remember when you were a young person? Mm -hmm, I do, actually. Well, <laughs> Could you simulate being a young person and do an experiment for me? Because I would like to see if you can code. And she got that look on her face like, we used to be friends. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> and I said, no, I'm serious. I think you will really enjoy it. And eventually I got her to listen to what I was saying. And I said, okay, we have this wonderful little robot called R2-D2. AC. AC. D2. R2-D2's taken. I know. <laughs> but, 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 we are but, AC-D2. But, 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 AC-D2, yeah. I sell us. I sell us. And this little robot wants to dance. It's his dream. To, uh, his his slash his her dream. Mm -hmm. dream. It's, dream. It's, it's, it's dream. It's dream to be a dancer. Uh -huh. And so I said, what if you were to program this robot to dance? I said, Dr. Billings, for you, anything. That's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> for the kids. <laughs> so for the, for the students, right? And so I gave her one of the ACD2 robots to program. And the challenge was, can you make this robot dance? First thought was no. <laughs> Not very long after that, the robot came back to me. <laughs> and it was really hard for me to recognize the robot. <laughs> this is one of the cutest robots we've ever made. <clears throat> but when it came back, it was really, really, really hard to recognize. Um, could you get me the before shot over there? I would like to show everybody exactly what the robot looked like when I gave it to her. And here it is. Isn't that just the most beautiful little robot you've ever seen? That's so cute. Hello, hello. Can you imagine this robot dancing? Okay. So I'm going to show you how I did this. I went like this, and I gave the robot to her. And she took it and then waited a few days. And you ought to see what she came back with. Would you like to see what she came Can you show them what your what robot looks uh -huh. like now? I'll take this one. And here <laughs> it is. Mm -hmm. Oh, look at that. Look at that. That's what I call her, Frufru. <laughs> the robot's name is what? Frufru. Are you Fru? <laughs> fru Fru. Okay. Doesn't she is, look like that? Is that makeup? It's, of course it is. That's what happens with little girls. They like when they were perfect. May I? Go for it. Okay. So on top of the robot's feet, mm -hmm. there are quarters. They sure are. Why, why are there quarters on her feet? Well, because of the... Custom steps I did, it had to make it so she was balanced and she wouldn't fall, fall. 
Fall, fall. <laughs> you, she fell. So she fell a few doing times. your dance, she would fall over. Yes. And so you put weights on the feet. Yes. Okay. Programming robots to dance can be very exciting. Then. It was a very sad mm -hmm. sight. I also notice that she's got some makeup on here. Mm -hmm. hmm. She's got eyelashes. Eyelashes. Okay, and a crown. And, mm -hmm. a and she's got decoration up front. Okay, so here's the new idea. Besides test tubes, beakers, flasks, microscopes, mm -hmm. and math, and, and those things. Hypothesis. We, and a hypothesis. We now have a new way to enter the science fair, mm -hmm. and that is by coding a robot to be able to dance. And, and apparently, it's okay if you dress up the robot a little bit, too. Yeah, I, I thought it was okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we have a, uh, a custom, a custom musical number. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. mm -hmm. A new composition that's never been heard before. It's original. It's mm -hmm. original with these original dance moves. And it made me realize that we're going to have a lot of fun with this. One of the, the projects that I have on my radar screen is developing courses that teach students to compose music. Mm. Now, I'm, I'm one of the few people still living that knew Mozart personally. <laughs> yeah, I bet he liked you a lot. Actually, you, you realize that's a joke. <laughs> I'm not that old, no, <laughs> but it's it's amazing how music that was composed hundreds of years ago is still popular. But you did play his music, didn't you? Yes, I did. On the French horn. On the French horn, yes. yes. So and why did I do it? I don't know why. Well, actually, I had a a band director uh -huh. that was my uncle, my father's brother. Uh -huh. And he played the French horn. And when I was still quite young, he said, if you will learn and master the French horn, you will get a scholarship into college. Uh -huh. And I wanted to go to college. Uh -huh. He said, the trumpet, there's a lot of trumpet players. There's uh -huh. a lot of violin players. But it seems like the universities are always looking for good French horn players. So if you learn to play the French horn, you can get a scholarship. And I would carry that French horn home every day, and I would practice for an hour, which was, I mean, that took a lot of self-discipline. And my poor mother. <laughs> yeah, anyway. But it turns out that when I finally got old enough to be ready to graduate from high school and go to college, I won the science fair. And the science fair gave me my scholarship, so I didn't end up using my French horn playing. But music is wonderful, and I love music. And at the university, my love for music got me into the field of recording. I started a recording studio. Really? Yeah. And my little recording studio turned out to be a lot of fun. Uh, I learned so much by recording music. And you know, uh, that was a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Today, what we can do in music is so much more exciting. Today, recording music, composing music is all about computers. If you really want to do things in music today, you better learn how to code. You better learn how to use a computer. And I have spent the last couple weeks setting up a recording studio here in the Billings Tower, <laughs> down on the fourth floor, so that the students, which are very interested in, in recording and in composing mm -hmm. and creating music, will have a place where we can go in and create our music. And as I was doing this, and I started using some of the latest technology in computerized music recording and composing, etc. I became impressed that the state of the art of this field has just exploded. And now you can do amazing, amazing, amazing things. Hmm. And I spent many hours getting this recording system going. And we'll, we'll actually do a tour of it pretty oh, soon. Fun. But I also decided 
that I want to be able to offer courses in this for our students. There is so much to learn, so much to learn about microphones, about recording, so much to learn about mixing, about reverbs, mm -hmm. and the technology is just readily available. So I identified a company that I think is leading the pack. I think they're the best in the world. And I Googled them and I studied them and I found out who's running that company. And I am intending to become really good friends with those people. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna tell them, how would you like to have two or three million students wow. learning how to run your amazing programs. And my goal is to bring those programs into Acellus and make courses. And if you're gonna get good at creating and recording music, you're not gonna do it with just one course. It's gonna have to be a whole series. A lot of schools are saying, we need music classes, we need music classes. Well, I don't know how to teach the violin, but we can teach students how to use these new technologies. And interestingly, they now record violins, the very best violins in the world with the best tone, and they record every note so that a student can play the violin through their computer on their original composition or any other instrument. Mm -hmm. And this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm not going to mention the name of the company yet because they have not yet agreed to help me. <laughs> but I really am, am very excited about it and it'll be something we can do. So this particular, what, what's her name? Fufu. Fufu. Fruit Loops. Fufu. Okay. This uh, robot is going to perform for us. It is. She is. And she's going to perform a dance that was choreographed and programmed by who? By me. As assignment I was given. And with amazing, <laughs> amazing music. And it's, it's kind of exciting that you and one of the students sat down and mm -hmm. developed this. And now, I will tell you, I would like to have a lot of other people do this. We have a new course that you can enroll in. Those of you that are in the Cellus Academy, you can enroll in this course, and we're making it be one of the courses that don't count as the six that you have to, I mean, that you can do. So this is something that won't cost any extra money to enroll in this course, but uh, you go in and uh, have your, your parents or whoever is managing your course get this enrolled for you and you will actually learn how to program the robot to dance. Now, when you get the robot ready to start making the moves and start doing the dancing, you'll be able to see it on the screen. The same robot, well, it'll be more like this one. Yeah, it'll look like that. Yeah, more like this. <laughs> but you'll be able to see your dance that uh -huh. you create on the screen. Now, if you find out that you really like this and that you'd really like to go further with it, then you could do an advanced course. And what you need to do then is get a robot because the emulation that we do on the screen is pretty neat when you're starting out. But there are literally 10,000 different steps that you could create with this robot. And we can't emulate those, so you're gonna to have to get a robot to see those. Now, I am asking our tech guys to make me a giant version of this robot. So that the ones that win the robot dance contest are going to actually be able to see the full-size robot do a dance. And you know, I think I just got a good idea. Oh yeah? Yeah. You get a lot of them. I, it may have come from this robot. I'm not sure where it came from. But the idea is, when we get the big robot, maybe you could do your dance with Fruit Loops. Fruit, <laughs> right? <laughs> that would really be exciting. I mean, okay. I dance with her. I, Is that yeah, what you're saying? Yeah, you could dance the big, the big version. She may not have the hair on the big one. 
I may have to change some of those steps. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure it'll get better with time because this is this is addictive. This is so much fun. You know, it is. You're actually. gonna make it better and better it and is. better. So, would you please have Fruit Loop? What? what uh, fruit Fruit. <laughs> Do the page dance for us. Uh-huh. Here we go. Okay, there's some moves in there. There aren't are there? some moves. Yeah. It's shake, interesting shake, shake. that there is enough power in this little robot to actually be able to tip over, to yes. fall down. And so you had to put weights on the feet. Yes. It's interesting the things that could be done as you're getting into these dances. For example, a lot of the moves involve the, the feet. Mm -hmm. turning, slipping back and forth. And you notice when she went on just one foot. Um, I wonder what would happen if on this outer edge we were to make the foot abrasive, you know, like sandpaper, just roughed it up a little bit, so that when she goes up on the outside edge, she gets more traction. Mm -hmm. And then when she comes down flat, you could have it be even more smooth. That'd be fun. And you can get into all kinds of dance things that others can't do. So this could be a real engineering, creative design, coding experience that could help people understand robots in an amazing way. So I have to say thank you. Because I did I was not very supportive at the beginning with that look. Excuse me, just a minute. <laughs> okay, go ahead, say it. Dr. Billings, thank you for having me do that because as I got into it. <laughs> Could you say it one more time? Thank you so much. You're very welcome. It was fun though, wasn't it? Yes, it was a little bit intimidating at first, but then as I got into it, it's, it's a little sticky because it makes me want to keep going back and trying new things. So. Well, and you should. And you know, a lot of students we're going to start with this course. This is kind of a quick start. Mm -hmm. This is where you can get in and actually make something happen pretty quick. And some of you are going to like it so much, you're going to want to go back and take the full course. Uh, yes. The STEM 1, STEM 2. Now we have STEM 3, which gets more into electronics. And some of you are going to become robotic engineers. Some of you are going to just become people that program and use robots. I believe everybody is going to want to learn to use robots. He said, well, not me. And I said, well, do you make toast? <laughs> do you run a washing machine? Because they're becoming robots. They're mm -hmm. by, controlled by computers, and they do amazing things. They do. The other day, I went in to wash my blue jeans after working outside for a while. I dropped them into the washing machine, and they came shooting back out. <laughs> Because it rejected them, they were so dirty. It's a smart washing smart machine. Smart washing machine, yeah. <laughs> that is a joke, by the way. That, that did not actually happen, but it may in the future. They were probably pretty dirty, though. Yeah, wish wash. Okay, <laughs> so back on track. Uh, this is something that you should all check out. It's an exciting new part of a cellus. Mm -hmm. And uh, I want you to think about this music thing. Yeah. I think it's going to be big. You know, we are the, the university here that creates a cell. This is called the International Academy of Science. And we gather students interested in science and technology from all over. We have come from other countries and all over the United States. And lo and behold, uh, they learn science, they learn math, they learn these things, and they find out that it can be very interesting, a lot of fun and that they can do it. And, and we do it in a way so as to empower them to actually do real projects. But a real interesting aside that you want to know about, for some reason, and it's not because we offer classes in this, but for some reason, a lot of these students become musicians. Mm -hmm. A lot of the students who come here 
aren't what you would call singers. Nope. They're not instrument performers. Mm -mm. But a lot of them, when they leave, sing. We do a lot of karaoke here, and we have a lot of fun. And it's all part of what I call the Academy subculture. <laughs> yeah, we have one Which means I have no control over it. <laughs> but it's a good thing, and it's fun to develop these capabilities. And as you get into music and you learn to perform a little bit, it makes you love it. And music is a, is a wonderful release. It's an inspirational thing, and it's a lot of fun. And I'd like now to bring that opportunity out more into our, our students that are taking the Cellus Academy courses online. So try out this little robot program. Mm -hmm. I think you'll find that you can actually have the little robot on the screen dancing pretty soon. Your first dance may be pretty simple. Mm -hmm. Your dance then can get a little bit more sophisticated, a little more challenging. This is quite an advanced number. It is. It is quite advanced. And yet, if she would keep at it, it could get so much better. In fact, we could work on the hairdo. Mm -hmm. We could do a lot of things. We could do a lot of things. Would it be okay if we watched it just one more time before we... She would love that. Okay. Give her, give her a... Let me start her up again. Yeah, let's start okay. her up again one more time. Here we okay. go. I think she's getting better. <laughs> that's great. Well, as uh, John would say, that's all the time we have. <laughs> See you next time.